0: Every December, wherever you go, there's one thing you can't escape, the nostalgia and nausea-inducing sound of holiday music. Chances are, if you flip on the radio right now, someone, somewhere is playing Mariah Carey's All I Want For Christmas is you. But today's younger generation may not even be aware that the singer-songwriter who actually wrote the song just to fill out her holiday album in 1994 never intended to be the queen of Christmas. Now, Mariah Carey reportedly earns over $1.5 million annually from her bona fide Christmas classic. I'm Thomas Germain, the host of this episode of Courts Obsession, where we're taking a closer look at the innovations that may someday change our lives. It was streaming that changed things for Mariah, just like it changed the entire industry. To dive into that even more, today we have Drew Gillis, news editor for the AV Club. Drew, thanks for joining me.
1: Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: all i want for christmas is you wasn't a major hit when it came out but that changed because of the music streaming industry is that right so when mariah carey's
1: christmas album came out the song all i want for christmas is you wasn't even released as a single the way the billboard charts worked back then was the song had to be released as a single in order for it to be eligible to be on the hot 100 so it could still get a lot of airplay it could still be on the radio but it wasn't eligible to chart because you couldn't buy it as a single billboard has just been a magazine since the early days of contemporary pop music and they keep track of what the highest selling records were on the billboard hot 100 billboard has since adapted their model to include streaming songs
0: and it's less of a magazine now and more of a company that just puts out charts well they still
1: do reporting and they still like do a lot it's kind of a music trade publication it's not like an entertainment weekly it's a lot of music business news within the past decade billboard has changed their charting system to account for streaming and it's basically any song is eligible not just the singles because of that there's a lot of songs that otherwise wouldn't be on the billboard hot 100 that's why when someone like drake or Taylor Swift releases an album, basically the whole album ends up on the Billboard Hot 100 because every single song is eligible to be on it because of streaming.
0: So 20 years ago, Mariah Carey was absolutely inescapable. But these days, the only time I hear her music is in the month of December. Can you explain how streaming has changed the way we experience an artist like Mariah Carey? I think the case of Mariah Carey is really interesting because she was by basically any
1: metric the most commercially successful artist of the 90s. She sold a crazy, ridiculous amount of records. And then like part of it was just kind of being an aging female pop star, trends changing, she kind of fell out of fashion. And now streaming has changed pretty much everything about her career where now she is considered the queen of Christmas, certainly within the past decade, if not the past five years. She has really capitalized on this notion that she has the best Christmas song A lot of people are keen to agree with it. And it's a song that never goes anywhere because of Spotify. You could listen to it in the middle of May if you want to listen to that song. It's always there and it tops every Spotify Christmas playlist. And a lot of those Spotify playlists are the things that are playing in your office or in the grocery store. It's kind of replaced radio in a lot of ways. I think what is kind of cool about streaming, just from a data perspective, probably not as cool, from a sales perspective is it is more of a metric of what people are actually listening to at this moment. Mm -hmm. Every time you wanted to listen to a song 10 years ago, you didn't buy it. You bought it once and you could listen to it a thousand times. Mm. And that was the data that Billboard had. They only had the sales. Now they have here's who's listening to this song when and how often. So the metric of popularity is probably more
0: accurate. Can we put a pin in this? Like if we compare the current state of the music business where streaming is a big factor, how does that compare to the way that things used to work in the music industry? Radio used to be a big factor as well, right? We'd have DJs playing this major role in deciding what songs were and weren't going to be hits and then ultimately not just the DJs themselves but the giant conglomerates that were running the radio stations and there was this relationship between you know, the record companies and promoters and radio stations, because that was the primary delivery method, that factored into whether or not things were going to the top. At this point, radio is barely an afterthought in how most of the music business is spending its time and focus. we had this artist uh this month brenda lee who a lot of people probably don't know by name but she had a hit in 1958 called Rockin' around the christmas tree which just went to number one thanks to a successful publicity campaign could that have happened 10 years ago how does streaming factor into that sort of thing
1: well so brenda lee like her song had charted and i think i read today it had gotten to number 14 in 1990 because it was in home alone so hers was already a pretty like viable commercial single. It was the streaming that kind of put it over the top. It would have been a lot harder 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. I still think All I Want for Christmas Is You is probably a song most people enjoy more. But even 10 years ago, that one couldn't have achieved this. Yeah. Brenda Lee really this year made a push for the top spot on the billboard. She got to number two, definitely last year, she might have gotten to number two a couple other times since they've changed the rules. But this year, she you know, she put out a music video, which she had never put out before. She was 13 when she recorded the song. She's 78 years old now, lip syncing to the 13 year old vocal, which is kind of funny and surreal. But YouTube also counts towards streams. That's why people put out the music videos. You're kind of double dipping almost in that every time you watch the music video, it also affects the billboard data. So that was one of the promotional things she did. She was singing over the intercom of an airplane. Wow. You know, that's like something Jesse J used to do 10 years ago and people laughed at her for it but it's just a publicity stunt people record it and share it on the internet huh. she was doing interviews in the new york times she was really marketing this single the way that you know like if Dua Lipa put out a new song these are the kinds of things that she would be doing mm. there's a playbook it's, it's a playbook but it was a song that came out 65 years ago and this year they just decided no like we're going to treat this like a new proper single and we're going to get it to number one and we're going to put it in everyone's face.
0: And there was this social media war that happened, right? There there was an account called Brenda Lee Charts. Can you tell me (laughs) what happened there?
1: Brenda Lee Charts, I don't even know how to begin to explain this to people who don't spend 18 hours a day on Twitter, but. (laughs) Let's dive in. On Stan Twitter, there are all these accounts that kind of keep track of their faves
0: And Stan Twitter is where people are, like, obsessed with a particular musician or artist or celebrity or something, right?
1: Yeah, so it's beyond just being, like, a passive fan. They have entire accounts dedicated to talking about Taylor Swift or Ariana Grande or BTS Mm -hmm. or whoever. And some of these accounts are even more niche, where you'll have, like, an Ariana Grande charts account, and it'll be something like seven rings just hit 3 billion streams on spotify today it becomes her third song to do this someone like really has to be watching spotify data all the time and they're not paid to do this this is just fan behavior it's army of fans (laughs) so there's this account called brenda lee charts and it seems like it's kind of a joke because the only time brenda lee is on the charts is at Christmas at this point. Uh Her other songs are also from 1960. And you know, there's some good songs, but they're not part of contemporary conversation. I think Brenda Lee charts is kind of a joke account. It does tweet out real data about her chart success, but it's a little tongue in cheek, kind of mocking of this culture. But on the other end is Mariah Carey still does have real stands on Twitter, who are these people aren't playing around they're not playing around like they really just love Mariah Carey and <laughs> they were kind of antagonizing Brenda
0: Lee chart for the past week so the Brenda Lee fans were having a war with the Mariah Carey fans on Twitter like flaming each other and we well,
1: see I don't even know if there were Brenda Lee fans like I think it was just the one poor account <laughs> that was getting the wrath of every Mariah Carey fan and I think the Mariah Carey fans were also being a little tongue-in-cheek about it. Like, I don't want to proclaim this is, like, the downfall of social media or anything off something that was pretty funny. Oh, that's reassuring. They were replying to Brenda Lee charts, like, this old hag is never going to get to number one. It's going to be Mariah. Like, this back and forth. And then Brenda Lee did hit number one. And Brenda Lee charts is screenshotting all the negative comments and tweeting them out to, like,
0: roast them back. Hilarious. (laughs) I mean, what's really funny there, right, is these fan accounts are using the Spotify data, right? Like, what they're talking about is the results of this algorithm that has made it even possible for Brenda Lee to be part of the conversation. It seems like the way that music is being consumed has even changed the nature of fandom and people's relationship with artists. I feel
1: like being a fan of an artist is so much more competitive than it was even 10 years ago. It's not enough to say that you think Beyonce or Taylor Swift or Mariah Carey is the best. You have to be able to prove it. And one of the easiest ways to prove it is with this data that Spotify publicly displays on its platform. A lot of it just ends up being kind of fans doing unpaid promotional work for these various artists who are on here and You think it's all teenagers, but it's not like there's a lot of grown adults behind these anonymous accounts spending six hours a day.
0: I got to come clean. I'm actually the one behind the the Brenda Lee account. Your Brenda Lee chart. Yeah, that's why I wanted to
1: talk about this in the first place. (laughs) I'm glad we cleared that up. It's a pretty big scoop.
0: I feel a lot better now that we can. Yeah,
1: but I don't think these Mariah Carey stands are high schoolers. I think Mariah Carey hasn't been like a huge hit for teenagers in a good 20 years. These have to be mostly adults doing
0: this. We talked a lot about how artists are changing what they're doing to fit with the algorithm. But I mean, at the same time, we shouldn't be naive about this. The music business has always dictated what happens with art and artists, right? Brenda Lee is a great example. She had to change her name from Tarpley when she was first starting out. And I think you were telling me about something about Avril Lavigne. Avril Lavigne,
1: when she she's from Canada, she's from Quebec. And she was kind of like a Sheryl Crow esque, folky, country pop esque.
0: Alt country, yeah. Yeah,
1: that's what she was hoping to do when she was, you know, 13 years old, however old in Quebec. And the label was like, well, no. <laughs> Basically, no. Basically, we think you're more suited for this kind of mall rock, hmm. pop punk type thing. I mean, yeah, like fake punk stuff, yeah. And this happens. This happens a lot. I mean, this kind of thing happened forever. Sure. And still probably is happening to a degree. Something that is super interesting is how much nostalgia is a huge marketing component. Nostalgia has always been a marketing component since marketing really has been a thing. If they cannot produce something new, if they can just say, hey, why don't you just listen to this Mariah Carey album from 30 years ago?
0: Unless some tech platform or record label or music studio decides that it's not making them money anymore and they want to take it away and then stuff is just gone you can't listen to it at all yeah
1: and that happens a lot more with tv than it has happened with music it seems like when stuff has gone disappearing from spotify it's been joni mitchell or neil young taking a stand and being like we don't like spotify we're we're taking it back
0: Support for today's show comes from Deloitte. What does the future look like? It's a question that drives progress. And more importantly, how do you get there? It's curiosity, resourcefulness, and bold ideas that can drive us even further than new technology. Because while technology can take you far, human exploration could take you even farther. Deloitte helps businesses build the future only they can imagine by melding deep business acumen and innovative technology with a vast team of tech-savvy professionals. Unlock technology as powerful as your vision and push the boundaries of the possible so that you can stay a step ahead with the thinking to help you transform what's next into what's now. Helping you see the extraordinary potential in the seemingly ordinary while blending the possible with the practical is what Deloitte does. See how you can engineer advantage with Deloitte at Deloitte.com US slash engineering advantage.
1: Even in my lifetime, singles haven't really been much of a thing. And this is before Spotify. Like, I was raised in the 2000s. I grew up finding music via the iTunes store. And you could just buy any song off the album. You didn't have to buy the whole album. You could go a la carte. When I was a kid, I thought singles were the songs that got music videos. That's all I knew, because I didn't know that there was a difference between I didn't know that you could actually go buy a record with one song on it until like 2016, to be honest. Oh, God. The iTunes were basically had a 10-year run, maybe 12 years. But by 2013, 2014, Spotify had taken over. I remember in 2016, you had Beyonce release Lemonade. A few months prior, Adele had released 30. And those were albums that they didn't send to Spotify. Those were the last couple albums that I actually have in my iPhone music library because they insisted that you buy the album. And Spotify was still pretty nascent and they thought that if they withheld their music strong enough, they might be able to change it. But it was kind of just like a last dying cry of actually buying an album.
0: Spotify's ripped a lot of the money out of the music business, right? It used to be that bands and artists wouldn't start cashing in on things like products or brand deals until they were over the hill. They'd stop being cool. Now it feels like people are dropping out of art making right at the height of their powers so they can actually make some money.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's no secret that you don't really make any money off Spotify if you're an artist. Taylor Swift was the most streamed artist of the year, and she made $100 million from Spotify, which is a lot of money, don't get me wrong. But... Compared to what an artist like her who just had this year in 2002 would have made, it's kind of pennies. And considering how she's already a billionaire, it's not a life changing amount of money. But yeah, if you're a musician now, and like, unless you're Beyonce or Adele or Taylor Swift who can say, no, you have to buy the album, I'm not going to put it on Spotify and trust that you have a fan base that will follow you. Most people can't do that. Even someone like I'd say a Billie Eilish, who's very successful and popular right now couldn't withhold her album from spotify no one would listen to it you have to make money somehow so part of it is touring part of it is selling merchandise off your website and then ariana grande and rihanna both have makeup lines beyonce and drake both have kind of athleisure clothing lines the weekend designs shoes so does rihanna design shoes
0: a lot of celebrity shoe
1: collaborations because they're just not making money off music really
0: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, right? If we think back, I'm trying to think of a star from, you know, 20 years ago, like Eminem, right? Late 90s, early 2000s. That guy was not putting out shoes or his own cologne at the height of his powers. That wasn't a cool thing to do. But now the artists that are right at the top who are most in a position to be printing money from the entertainment business, <laughs> they're doing retail now? That's a really strange shift in how the music business works.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, it would have been so easy for Eminem to sell M&Ms and put his face on candy wrappers 20 years ago. <sighs>
0: it's right there.
1: But it would have been so tacky. It would have kind of ruined his image. Yeah. No one really thinks of it that way anymore partly out of necessity.
0: So there's all these ways that artists have shifted the way that they're moving through the world in order to appease the algorithm. We've got shorter songs, we've got songs where the the structure, verse, chorus, verse is a little bit different. People are selling more merch and other products and things like that. But are there other ways that our new streaming status quo has given artists more freedom?
1: I think the way that it frees them is kind of ironically from the promotional duties that come with being a pop star. Hmm. Beyonce was kind of the one who started this trend when she dropped the album almost 10 years ago to the day with no promotion, just an Instagram announcement and said, here's my album. Again, that's something you have to already be very famous to do, but a lot of people have followed suit. Drake has done this, or they'll announce an album out in two weeks as opposed to 10, 15 years ago it used to be. My album's out in six months, and I'm going to do four singles, four music videos. I'm going to be on Good Morning America three times and do the talk show route. Now they can't avoid a lot of that because the cycle is just so much faster. You can record a song on Monday and have it on Spotify on Friday. So I do think that's probably pretty liberating if you're an artist big enough to afford to not promote their music outside of an Instagram post.
0: Right, and then uh, the flip side of the coin is that people who are just starting out, these smaller indie artists, are having to work harder than ever before to do that same kind of self-promotion that people like Rihanna or Beyonce have completely left on the table, right? If you are starting out in the music business and you don't have some kind of record label or big financer behind you, you've gotta be on TikTok every single day doing whatever the meme is to get people's attention. There's been this sort of democratizing effect here because the Billboard chart is based on streams and it doesn't cost people any extra money to go stream a song, right? It's not like convincing someone to buy an album.
1: Yeah, to an extent. I mean, I have friends who are, I'm sure you do too, who are smaller musicians who play shows in Brooklyn or I have friends from Boston or Maine who do local shows. And they have had people just find them on Spotify who might live in the West Coast, might not even live in America, who have just found there's stuff by happenstance through the algorithm, which is pretty cool. It's not enough to make a career off of, but it is pretty cool that 20 years ago, 25 years ago, you'd have to like ship a CD out to California from Boston if you wanted someone to hear your music. And now they can kind of just stumble into it and decide, oh, I like this. I'm gonna keep listening to this artist. I'm gonna follow them.
0: My last question here, you know, we've talked about how much Spotify has changed the world. But just over the past couple of weeks, there's been news that the music streaming business is in turmoil. Spotify laid off 17% of its workforce, 1,500 people. Can we say anything about what the future is going to look like here? Because it seems like maybe the business model that the whole world has shifted to fit with, maybe it isn't even sustainable.
1: It seems like almost no
0: one is making the money that they should be making
1: off of this. Both music and TV found a way to successfully monetize their product and they successfully did it for almost 100 years and in the past 10 years they decided to throw the whole model out i guess nominally for consumer convenience in the past year of the actors and writers going on strike in hollywood musicians on twitter have floated the idea of a musicians union kind of saying us as musicians have no recourse against spotify as it was they already had very little recourse against the labels but now the labels are almost just kind of an intermediary between Spotify and the artist. And the artist has very little power over this.
0: Yeah, which was always the case, but more true than ever now that, you know, not only do you have to appeal to the record labels and the traditional entertainment business, but you also have to share some of that tiny income that was available in the first place with Spotify. There's really no one advocating for the artists at this point. They're almost disposable because, you know, I don't necessarily need... New music, I can go listen to Mariah Carey's song from 1994. You don't even really have to promote it. Like, Mariah's
1: kind of never really promoted this song in any real way. People just like it. Yes, she does it on New Year's Rockin' Eve, but that's not like a real promotional push. We saw Brenda Lee make a real push and get it this year. Yeah, And I wouldn't be surprised if in a year or two, it's going to be Wham's Last Christmas that's making a push for number one, because I think it's currently at number four. So, like, it's looking good if they wanted to. I don't
0: think I could handle that, Drew. That might be the last draw for me.
1: Well, we have a couple good years left, I guess. Okay. That's the future. That's the answer to your question is the future is last Christmas by wham. We'll be sitting atop the Billboard Hot 100 by the end of the decade.
0: I don't know whether to be reassured or or concerned here, but at least we've always got the nostalgia to fall back on.
1: I guess. I wasn't there.
0: <laughs> Drew, thanks so much for being here.
1: Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: Drew Gillis covers media and pop culture for the AV Club. This episode was produced and edited by Freddie Beckley with additional support from Quartz Executive Editor Susan Housen and Head of Video Garth Bardsley. Our theme music is by Taka Yasuzawa and Alex Sugira. And if you like what you heard, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, wherever you're listening, and tell your friends about us. Whether they're Team Brenda or part of Mariah Carey's Lamily, send five people this episode right now to spread a little bit of holiday cheer. And then head to qz.com obsession to sign up for Quartz's weekly obsession email and browse hundreds of interesting backstories. I'm Thomas Germain, thanks for listening. Today's word on the future, together. Because the future of business isn't driven by what machines or people do alone, but by all they can achieve together. See how we help at deloitte.com slash engineering advantage. We're talking in mid-December here. Barbara Lee, who people may not know by name. Brenda Lee. Brenda Lee. Brenda Lee. Okay. You
1: didn't know her name.
0: <laughs> I was just gonna say that people don't know her name, and here, here we are. That
1: would be a good Easter egg, though. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> the whole thing. Yeah.